You can turn in your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to be speaking on a subject this morning that I've had bits and pieces of it in some of my sermons, but not to the extent that I'm dealing with it today. It might take another week or two to get all of it said, but it's something that's very important to us as Christians. I find myself in a place always seeming for God to want me to say something about what's wrong with us. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with him. Nope. But we're dust, and he knows that, and all the Bible writers knew that, and we need to take that into account, that he has mercy on us because of that, he says. But the title of this today was Let This Mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's a commandment. And we'll look at that as we go through these scriptures. And the question that is asked first, it's obvious that Jesus did not have a mind that was hardened. But so many times in scripture, we hear about people with hardened minds and hardened hearts and stiff necks. People that won't be instructed. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 23 says, They obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. Now, you know there's something about us humans that I can relate to and I think you can too. And that's because of our defensive attitudes, our fears sometimes, our anxieties sometimes cause our necks to be stiff and our shoulders to block up. Maybe you've had this. You know how good a massage feels when they deal with you sometimes for different kind of mental problems and attitude problems. They always massage your shoulders. Why? Because their heart is a rock. There's an interesting scripture. We'll get to it maybe not today, but again. In a place that says that our, that our necks are as hard as a diamond. I didn't know in that day that they knew diamonds was the hardest thing in the world. But they did. And it says that sometimes our necks gets as hard as a diamond. So a stiff neck and a hardened heart, according to Scripture, is the same thing. But the conclusion of it all is that people who are in this condition about some things or sometimes will not be instructed. They won't learn. 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart. A commandment. Now, there's two things that scripture says. Number one, God talks to us. You recognize his voice? Have you heard him? A lot of people fan him. Have you heard his voice? He says that when God talks to you, don't harden your heart, listen to him. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. They're referring there to the Israelites as they traveled in the wilderness and wandered about for 40 years. They had all kinds of trials and troubles and tribulations. God fed them honey buns, best I can figure out. They said it tasted like honey, and it was sweet. The only thing I know tastes like honey and is sweet like we got today is a honey bun. I don't know whether they put a little on the griddle with some butter or not like I did, but they the best tasting things I ever tasted until I got diabetes. But it said they had trouble, and when they had problems, a lot of them would not listen to God, would not listen for instruction. Now there's about five, six different words in Scripture that have to do with this thing called hardening. There's one that's a verb, means to render yourself stubborn, to harden. You do this, the Bible says. We do this to ourselves. We make our we make our, our minds stubborn where we don't want to change, we don't want to hear, we don't want to listen. Another verb is an adjective, or another word is an adjective, to be obstinate or stiff-necked. Now some of you may recognize the old folks' term as bowing up. You know, you, he bowed up at me. Well, if you ever grab somebody's dog and didn't know you, you know exactly what they're talking about. Because they'll bow up and want to defend themselves and bite you in the process. There's a noun that talks about a hardened heart that says it's dry and hard or tough. Hard-hearted, destitute of perception, it means that you make yourself, you will yourself to be in a state where you will not understand what somebody's trying to tell you or what you're hearing. And another one is a verb to refuse to perceive or learn. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says... Though he were a son, talking about Jesus now, though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. You know, that's an interesting verse. 
Jesus was an own son of God. And he had to learn. That clears up, I think, in some people's minds about how much of, of a God Jesus retained when he was a little child. I've heard people discuss that he did miracles in the sandbox. I don't believe he did. I don't believe Jesus did any miracles until after John baptized him in the Jordan River. That's when he got power, and as he said, my time has not yet come, I think his time had come. When he was 30 years old and started his ministry, that's when he was baptized. So at that time, and the first miracle that he performed, according to my book, was the miracle of turning the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And that was because his mother asked him to. And he told her, I can't do that because my time has not yet come. But she asked him to do it, and he broke his own rule and did it anyhow because his mama asked. That was the first miracle he did. So as a child, Jesus was very much like every other child, except he had no original sin. Jesus did not have a tendency to sin like we were born with. That happened after Adam. Jesus did not have a, a have, uh, earthly father. I personally believe that the sin nature that we're all born with comes through our fathers because Jesus is the only one that didn't have it and he's the only one that didn't have an earthly father. He had an earthly mother just like you and I have. So I think I can assume that our old sin nature that Jesus takes away from us when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is that thing that is inherited in us. David in Psalms says we come from the womb sinning. So I believe we get it from our fathers. But though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. There is an interesting scripture in our book about child raising and child discipline. It's in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and it said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now that word nurture means instruction with teeth. That's what the old definition is. It's instruction with teeth. In other words, telling somebody what they need to do, like our own children. But then back it up with something that makes them suffer. That's the way Jesus learned. How in the world could we expect our own people to learn without suffering? So you make them suffer on their backside and that gives them incentive to do the right thing. 
Now, everybody's different. And everybody responds to things differently. But many people take suffering to learn. I think we can have, I mean, it's obvious that we've got criminals in this country now that are repeat offenders, they call them. Most of the police I know say that there's 10% of the people in any population that do 90% of the crime. They keep doing them over and over and over and over. I heard one policeman not long ago say that if 2% of the people in his precinct were put in prison, it stopped 95% of the crime. Just 2%. So people are repeat offenders because they don't suffer when they do wrong. And we've got people now who are voted in and paid salaries to make people suffer because of the wrong they're doing, and they're turning them loose. Proof is everywhere we look. Jesus learned obedience to God by the things that he suffered. And we have to do that too. That's the way it works. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let us learn. I explained to someone not long ago that people in the Bible Belt, if you will, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, they believe that when they hear that Jesus has come in a person, that person's going to change. And they're supposed to. A new man. A new creation. And we need to look for that. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 15, Jesus says, He that hath ears, let him hear. Now there's an interesting thing about all that. I found out, figured out one day by chasing scriptures down, that Jesus says, You that have ears, let them hear. But he's the one that gives us the ears. And he's talking here about understanding, not this, you know. But he gave us that too. But if you turn to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10, you'll see that in that scripture is when God called Moses to go to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh and let his people go free. In chapter 4 and verse 10, and Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I haven't been eloquent before now, and I'm not eloquent now. Nothing's changed, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. That meant he stuttered. And he was giving God an excuse. I can't do what you want me to do because I can't speak. And you're calling for a man here to go before a king and be an orator and tell him that God says you've got to let my people go. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? 
That's an interesting question God asked Moses. Who made your mouth? Who made any man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Who makes you where you can't speak? Or deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now people told me for years God doesn't do that kind of stuff. That's the devil that does that. Right here God says I'm the one that does it. I create people who are blind. I create people who are deaf. I'm the one that does that. So when he says, through Jesus, he that hath an ear, let him hear, that's what he's talking about. If I gave you an ear, you need to be listening. Now if you will turn to John chapter 9, we'll look at something else there that I think will show us something about the God that we serve and maybe change some of our minds about an attitude we have. But in John chapter 9 and verse 1, they're walking along the street, Jesus and the disciples, in Jerusalem, they see a blind man sitting on the sidewalk with a little cup begging, begging money. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. The Bible tells us a little more than you can tell by just looking at him, but he was born blind. Exactly what God was saying back there in the fourth chapter of Exodus. I created him blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They believed in that day that to have something wrong with you was a result of sin. You did something wrong and God punished you with it. They assumed that. And God here tears down that assumption by what Jesus says. Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, that the works of God should be shown publicly through this man right here. What Jesus is saying is, and this is as simple as it gets, this is true. God made this man blind from birth. He's a man now, but he was born blind. So all this time he's grown up to be a man, he's been blind. And he wasn't blind because somebody did something wrong. He's blind because God made him blind. He made him blind. He made him born blind. But he made him that way so that people that know this man might be able to see God's power and what he can do to somebody that was born blind. And it says down in verse 7, Jesus had told him. He spit in his hand, spit in the dust and took his fingers and rubbed the spit in some dust. In other words, maybe the guy didn't have enough dust when he was created to be able to see. But God took a little more dust 
mixed it with a little spit, rubbed it in his eyes, told him to go wash his eyes, and he'd come back seeing. And he did. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, verse 7. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. Jesus said out of his own mouth the truth that the reason this man was born blind so that one day I can come by and heal him in front of everybody and you can see how much power God has. That was the reason that he was born blind. This man suffered all his life from the time he was born till this day with blindness. Simply so, he could be there for Jesus to heal and people could see the power of God. Now folks, I don't know if you realize this, but that's you and me. That's you and me. We have our abnormalities. We have our diseases, sometimes terminal diseases, sometimes diseases for the rest of our life so that people can see what God can do with people who have something wrong with them. That's what it's all about. Somebody and I was talking this morning. This whole thing about a relationship with God is about two things. One is praising God. He created us and he creates situations so we can praise him. And the other thing is our problem. It's about sin. If it wasn't for sin, there would be no reason for Jesus at all. There would be no reason for a church. There would be no reason for us to get together on Sunday morning and pray and sing and worship God except for sin. And you and I as Christians should understand this thing of sin better than anybody else. Because it's the very reason we're called a Christian is because we sinned and we have been forgiven. Jesus was an A-plus student. How do I know that? Because in the 28th chapter of Matthew, God gave him authority over everything in heaven and in earth. Everything. He put Jesus in charge of it all. For one reason. Because Jesus was 100% obedient. So his lessons in obedience got him the best grade that anybody, any student could have. Jesus, in other words, then, was the best student in the whole world because he got put in charge of everything in the world and everything that's above the world because he was obedient, because of the kind of student he was and because of what he learned. And he learned to be 100% obedient to God. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, Jesus said. Now this is all about learning or not learning as Christians and the attitude we have about what we learn and how we learn and whether we accept it and believe it or not. And it's about learning some things and not learning other things. You know, God has instructed us not to listen to false teaching. So there are some things that we hear that we're not supposed to remember but we're supposed to learn about him. 
Because he said to be spiritual, to be called spiritual, is to know and understand me. The only way you can do that is through the Bible. Or somebody reading the Bible, or preaching the Bible, or teaching the Bible. So there are times when we're supposed to harden our heart. When we're hearing stuff, that's no good. There are other times we're supposed to be soft in our hearts and listen and be instructed because of what we hear. We're supposed to believe that. Now, how can you tell the difference? Holy Spirit. Peter says, try every spirit to see which ones are of God. Now, you can't tell the difference between bad preaching sometimes and good preaching. But the Holy Spirit can tell you the difference. That's the reason the Holy Spirit is so essential to every born-again believer. Without the Holy Spirit talking to you, today, if you hear His voice, listen to Him. She said. But you got to learn between the Holy Spirit and Satan. But the good thing about Satan is he can't get in your mind. Satan cannot give you thoughts. All he can do is operate out here. He can give you temptations that make you want to do what he wants you to do. But he can't get in the mind of a believer. He can the unbelievers, but he can't the believers. So sometimes you've got to harden your heart. Sometimes you've got to soften your heart and believe and listen. And the Holy Spirit tells you when to do each one because of what you're listening to. And sometimes you start hardening your heart and because you didn't have an excuse, Romans chapter 1, and you would not retain what God had already shown you about him in your remembrance. You don't, you don't acknowledge what God has already showed you, and you keep right on sinning, doing the wrong thing. Chapter 1 of Romans plainly teaches us that God will push you further down into sin because you have hardened your heart. He will harden your heart more. Sometimes God will harden other people's hearts, make them where they won't listen, to bring about his desired results. Like he did with Pharaoh in Egypt. He wanted the whole world to know about Jehovah God. And what better way to do it than to have the most powerful man in the whole world not believe, to harden his heart, so he wouldn't believe. He told Moses, I will not let your people go. And then all these miracles were done by Moses so that the world might understand just who God is. And he did that with Pharaoh. God can and will alter your attitude. He can do that, and he does do it. God gives eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand Him. 
by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we understand Scripture. My Scripture tells me that unless the Holy Spirit explains the Bible to me, there's no way I can understand it. But the neat thing is when we get born again, God puts the Holy Spirit inside of us so we'll always have it to tell us. This is what Jesus said. This is what he meant when he said it. This is the only way we can understand the Bible. It's through the Holy Spirit. But now as to definitions. We talked about definitions a while ago about a hardened heart. But listen to this. In Scripture, the heart is said to be the seat of the intellect, which sometimes we call the mind. The feelings, the emotions, we say, and the will. The Bible refers all of those functions as the heart. And we need to understand that as we study Scripture so we'll understand what he's talking about. Now if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 5, this will be the last Scripture. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15. I didn't see the one. As much as I've looked at it this week, I ought to have known it by heart. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Verse 7 says, this is in red, so it's Jesus' voice. He says, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. People are saying they're believers. And honoreth me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Jesus can tell that. We can't. In the 11th chapter of Matthew, I read this week where Jesus said, by our words we are justified and by our words we are condemned. At the judgment seat, we will be dealt with because of our words. That's how important what comes out of our mouth. That's how important it is. And we'll have to answer it, it says, to every idle word that we utter. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. He says what's happening, they're hypocrites because they're teaching you guys what men said instead of what God said. I don't know how much you study the Bible, but if you study the Bible very much, you will find a lot of that going on today. A lot of men are deciding what a church teaches and what a church doesn't teach. And a lot of preachers get to preach what they want to instead of what God tells them to. 
And people are believing some of the things that they say simply because a preacher uttered it. But we as Christians ought to be able to take whatever we hear and compare it with the scripture and see whether it's truth or not. Jesus said in the 18th chapter of John in verse 37, the only reason I came was to bear witness to the truth and the people of truth hear my voice. So whatever Jesus says is truth. So here's the thing. They've got this attitude of resistance. It winds up with their anxiety and their fear and their defensive attitude make their shoulders so sore that the muscles are just as hard as a rock. Hard as a diamond, the Bible says. You know that. You know how it works. They get defensive and they don't want to listen. They don't want to learn. They think they know everything that needs to be learned. That can't be the mark of a Christian because it wasn't the mark of Jesus. He learned till he learned it all. And I don't know it all yet. Paul says back in the letters that he didn't know it all yet. And Paul knew a lot. Let me explain something to you that is so natural for me, but it, it'll amaze you, I think, how God created things a fellow asked me one time years ago where I learned some of my horse training skills because that's all I've ever done for a living and I told him well you laugh at this probably but I learned some of it from the Bible he said oh man there ain't no horse training in the Bible I said you haven't read it he said but I never heard anybody say that I said well a man that created the horse also created you and he created horse training why wouldn't he know more than anybody else I've just explained and you I think you accept the fact that when you get scared or anxious your shoulders get hard you got a stiff neck the Bible calls it that a stiff neck well I broke horses that had never been ridden for 60 years and I learned something. When you touch a horse that's never been touched, the first thing that happens, he makes that neck just as stiff as he can. And if you get on him while his neck is stiff, your neck's liable to be broke. Because he'll buck you off. Now let me tell you something. It's a simple thing for a person that does it every day. The first thing you got to do when you step up on a horse that's never been ridden, you pull his head around. You bend his neck. And then you turn him loose and bend it the other way. And then turn him loose and bend it this way. And turn him loose and bend it that way. If you've ever watched it on TV, you see him doing that on a horse that's never been touched. And you better not step up on that horse until his neck is soft. The massage, like a massage parlor does, takes the stiffness, the anxiety, the defensive out of your neck and your shoulders. And to step up on a horse that has had his neck bent and is flexible and is soft is a completely different animal than if you step up on him when he's still got his neck just as stiff as he can. Because if his neck's stiff, he'll plant those hind feet and throw you somewhere. Now, that's just the way it is. They can't buck when their neck is soft. 
Have you ever reached down and touched somebody's dog that you didn't know? The first thing that happens, they bow up, they get real stiff, and they'll turn around and bite you. But after you rubbed them a little bit or get to know them, they'll let you touch them. I had a very interesting conversation with a lady that used to come to church here who is a pediatrician. She was complaining because the corporation that she was working for was making her see 38 kids a day. 38, she said. She said, how can you look in the mouth, how can you look in the ears and the eyes and check a child who is two years old that's never seen you before without first touching them and getting to know them a little bit, speaking nice to them, introducing yourself to them a little bit. Because you see, kids do the same thing. They get stiff when you grab them. They get stiff. They go to wiggling. Then they go to struggling. Then they go to screaming. And then they what old folk call pitching a fit. Horses do the same thing and a dog does the same thing. Exactly the same thing. And God made them all just that way. God says, don't be stiff-necked. Don't make your hard heart heart hard when I'm trying to speak to you. Don't get defensive with me. Don't turn around and bow up and try to bite me. Listen to me. And if it's not me that's speaking, then when you hear it, the Holy Spirit will tell you whether it's me or not. It's an interesting thing. In the 17th chapter of John, Jesus prays to God right before he goes to the cross. And he says, Lord, make my people on earth like you and I are, where we all believe just alike. All you got to do is drive up in a small town and see all the different churches on all the different corners and know that we're disobeying. We all believe different. And a lot of folks will take one truth out of the Bible and create a whole group of people, of worshipers, with that one truth. Like foot washing, stuff like that. Anything wrong with foot washing? Not a thing in the world. But they take that and make a whole system of belief out of it. And they separate themselves from everybody else who don't all foot, foot wash like they do. If you've studied any church history back before the Civil War, Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches in this area built balconies in their churches for the black folks to worship. Other folks didn't. The folks that built for Indians and black folks to worship with them were called missionary churches. The others weren't. And if you look, there's every kind of a different church that you would ever believe simply because of one thing they might have done. And we're all supposed to believe a lot. It's because of our hard-heartedness that we refuse to believe, like Jesus said, that makes us all different. And we get so different, we either want to fight each other. God never intended for that. Somebody asked me one time, said, the church at Briarfield, 
Why has it got a name like that? I said, well, we tried to get a name where we wouldn't be associated with any other group of believers. Somebody said, I can't go to that church because it's this kind of church. I can't go to that church because it's this kind of church. Just by driving by and looking at the sign. And I said, so we came up with a name, the church at Briarfield. I said, why did you ask that question? He said, because in Acts, that's the name of all the churches in Acts. Because you see, they all believe the same. They were just at different places. <laughs> the church at Ephesus, the church at Philadelphia, they all believe the same. They're just different places. When I told the fellow that I learned horse training out of the Bible, he said, how did you do that? I said, I created a student out of my horse. I made them want to learn. That's what we're supposed to be as Christians, a student who wants to learn about God, who wants to hear about God. Now, probably in the process of hearing about God, he's going to be hearing some stuff that's not about God. But the Holy Spirit will tell him the difference. But he still, if he shuts it down and won't hear anything, he'll stay right where he is. But see, with a dog, when you train a dog, you praise him when he learns, so he wants to learn. You take the pressure off a horse when he learns, you're not pressuring him anymore, and he can relax. He likes that. And with people, God says, I give you a a choice, a curse and a blessing. You either listen to me and grow or, or you'll be cursed. And that's where we are. They say they've loved me, Jesus said, but their heart's far from me. Christians got to learn. Slow or fast, we're all different. And we all learn at different rates. We learn different things at different rates because of the position we happen to be in. We find ourselves separating ourselves from each other. And some of us get pretty hard about that. I've seen it like fans of football teams. They want to fight each other because one went to this school, one went to that school. There's no reason for God's people to be like that. We're, we're, we've got to keep from differentiating ourselves from other people who have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to say this. If Jesus is behind you, it'll show to another Jesus person. They can tell that you belong to Jesus, because Jesus will see to it that they do. I remember the story about the worst fellow in town got baptized at a revival one night, and one old guy in the church asked another and says, he's been pretty bad. I said, yep. He says, wonder if it took. He said, give me 10 years and I'll show you, I'll tell you. So sometimes it takes a time. But you see, that indicates change too. A Christian is supposed to change. He's supposed to learn, and he's supposed to change the way he thinks. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to the Syrophoenician woman and says, I'm not supposed to give you my gospel because you're not a Jew. 
And she said, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And he changed his mind and told her that she would be saved. Because she showed some faith. So what I'm trying to say is, Jesus is in the business. His first sermon was repent, change your mind, because the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm close, he said, so you need to change your mind. The way you believe is not the way I want you to believe, so change your mind and believe like I'm telling you to believe. And that's what people did, and that's what the church is made up of today, is people who believe like Jesus Christ. Jesus dictates to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in us. It dictates to us. That's the way it works. So if we do what our Holy Spirit tells us to do, we're doing what Jesus told him to do. And God's pleased with us. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Not only that, Lord, make a student out of us. Make us understand that we've got to learn to be like you want us to be. That the church of Jesus Christ is bigger than a church. And that if we want to be accepted by you, that we need to be like you. Let us use you as an example. And it's your name I pray. Amen.